Hey, Rob. Well, Anne said a lot at the beginning in his uh, introduction of some of the things I'm going to say tonight. So it's either need saying twice or you're going to be bored because <laughs> you're going to hear it a bit again. Maybe it's in different words. Um, but um, uh, one of the things that, well, it's funny that Danny said, have you got your favourite favorite quote? I must have half a dozen of favourite quotes written on my notepad tonight because so many things that people say that are inspiring, you know, I think it's worth grabbing, don't you think? Well, I do. I like what Rob Bell says about um, we are able to grab truth wherever it is written. Because truth is truth, isn't it? Whoever said it. And we can take it and, and, uh, you know, uh, embrace it. And uh, this is a quote that I like. I can't even remember who wrote it. But this is, uh, and it fits in with something that Anth was saying. If you don't come on a Wednesday, you know, you miss a treat when we're doing deep. Because this week was just stunning with what we learned. Wasn't it amazing? Come on. Some of the, the things that uh, we are being willing and brave enough. Come on, because this takes bravery to tackle. Um, you know, and I'm... This is what, probably what I'm going to talk about tonight. Some people just can't hack because it really does take bravery. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to get to it a bit later on, but like usual, I always get there first. <laughs> when the children of Israel had to come out of Egypt, it was wonderful to be set free from Egypt. But they got into the, the wilderness and they started immediately to moan and say, I want to go back. Now, why did they want to go back? Short memories, very short memories, but they wanted to go back. And I will re revisit that if that's okay, but this is one of the quotes which I think is amazing. Religions have become so overlain with extraneous matter that their spiritual substance has become completely obscured under layer upon layer of distortion and misinterpretation that they become to a large extent divisive rather than a unifying force. When we strip away these layers, we regain the transformative power of the original teaching. <sighs> Isn't that great? Uh, and just to reiterate what Anth was saying, there's been a mischief that has taken place uh, by all sorts of influences, and, and Anth has been brave enough to say that he's taken part in that, and I've taken part in that. But thankfully, we're learning to strip it away and come back to <clears throat> uh, what the original teaching was. Now, I don't know whether to, to call the message, so you want to go back to Egypt, but there might be a better title, but we might call it that. But you know, if we are going to pursue this stripping away of this extraneous matter, the Bible tells us that we're going to have to have a new wineskin, because the wineskin that we had isn't going to handle the, 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 the newness of what is coming to us. Now, whether we like it or not, the, the, most of us in here today are the product uh, of the beliefs that we have are the product of what we've been handed most of our lives. Let's be honest. I mean, I love psychology and uh, I've, I've been hurt many times when I've been accused of bringing uh, psychological mumbo jumbo is what I've been accused of, of bringing. But you know, psychology is, is very important. We're all psychological beings. We've got a psych for crying out loud, the mind. And 
You have been infected by things that you've been told from being age one to five. You have been bombarded with information. And by the time you're five, there is stuff that's happened in those five years that you will never, ever, ever, ever lose. Did you know that? And so if stuff happened to you when you were in between one and five, something of a horrendous nature, that you carry, and it, and it, it dictates so much, and, and you have to have almost a, an explosion of something to, to happen to, to redirect or change your mind. Now, if that can be true of a, a negative thing, imagine even if it's to do with a religious belief. You know, you can, you can say, ah, oh, yes, well, this is, this is what I was taught. This is it, and I'm stuck with it. I'm not going to let it go. When actually, I mean, my, my, what I have understood just recently is to, to, to even for a minute think that I can put God in a box and, and, you know, wrap it up nicely with a ribbon and say I've got him sussed is the most craziest thing that I could ever dream of saying. You know, I, the day I die, I still want to have, have learned things that, that are there to be learned. But I hope I can be, and it's been said, humble enough, humble enough to say, come on, what there is to learn, I want to be open enough to receive it. So we have to have a, a new wineskin. So something that uh, was uh, in my mind this week is, you know, how do we measure how much we love God and I know we've been told that really that's not an issue about whether we love God or not it's how much he loves us but you know you must admit we we have a certain idea of what it what we do to sort of prove uh, that we love God I mean is it you know church attendance is it prayer is it bible reading is it you know the do's and don'ts of things well you know I remember there was a, a, a lady in my Dad's very, very first church, which is back in 1969, he went to a place called Horden in County Durham. And there was a lady there who said, I have never sinned because I've never had my hair permed or read a novel. That is absolutely the truth. I've never had my hair permed and I've never read a novel. So we can get all tied up with, you know, well, you know, I might have done this, but I didn't do that. Oh, you, you know what I'm saying? So what is it? How do we measure this idea of us loving God? Well, let me ask another question before we try and tackle that one. How do we measure whether I love my children or whether I love my husband or whether I love my friends? How do we measure it? We've all got a, a different way of measuring how we love. It, wouldn't you agree? So let me give you some idea. Is it, is it gifts? Is it cuddles? You know what I mean? What is it when it comes to the, the husband or your partner? Is it the bedroom? How do we measure? Is it the day-to-day -day mundane? Is it, is it the washing of the clothes? Is it the going shopping? How, how do we measure? Just how do we? And I'll tell you what, every one of you will decide that Love is shown in a, in a different way. And that's why we have trouble with each other. Because if I don't speak your love language, you get upset with me. And if you don't speak my love language, I get upset with you. And so we all think, oh, he didn't talk to me today or he didn't do this. And he should have known that, you know, do you get me? 
Because we're all looking for, for that sense of love and by what people do and don't do. Do you, do you get me? So we've asked these questions. Is it faithfulness? Is it hanging in there? Is it, is it staying put when you think, oh, I just can't stand another minute of this. It's driving me nuts. Is that, are you, is this making sense? See, it bothers me the ways that we come up with. So, another quote. Religiosity per se is not discipleship. It is in fact a safe refuge from the revolutionary lifestyle that Jesus proposed. Prayer, reading, sacraments. Now for some of you, what's a sacrament? You know, the symbolic things like taking communion, you know, the various things that we do. Where am I? Uh, and spiritual direction, whether it's preaching from a pulpit, counseling or whatever, are useful in supporting Christian living. But when they become an escape from the more difficult demands of Christian living, they are the corruption of discipleship. Oh. Well, that's taken away probably... Uh, 44 years of my life of what I understood loving God was about. Come on. So, let's ask a question. What are the difficult demands, where is it, that we try to escape from, which are in fact allowing those other things at the beginning to be a corruption of discipleship? Oh, heck. We talk about it a lot in this place. It's loving people. We can sit in here and we can sing songs, we can raise our hands, we can say, I'm loving you, Lord. But you know what? If it's not, or if it becomes an escape from the more difficult demands, then it's in fact a corruption of my discipleship. That takes some getting you head around and that's why in this place we haven't we haven't focused a lot on those issues because in many ways for, for, for years and all over the world they have become a corruption of discipleship because people can come into a church and do their stuff and go out and where is the love of people where is it now what I find amazing is that when I think of worship now for me, I see it from a very, very different angle than I've ever seen it before. Because I see it in the context that Jesus showed his love for God by expressing that love to people. So if I'm going to follow in his footsteps, the way I show my love for God is by expressing my love to people. And yet somehow we have this idea that he can express his love for God. Jesus can express his love for God uh, by expressing his love for people. But when it comes to us, we have to play the game of prayer, reading, sacraments, spiritual direction, which become escape from the more difficult demands, which is what? Loving people. Now, some people want to say, I love God. 
but they don't want to love people. <laughs> Come on, let's just be honest. Now, let me give you a little example of this. In John 6, 53 uh, and 56 verses, I won't read it all, but I'll just give you the gist. Jesus was talking to a whole bunch of people. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Sounds great, this, doesn't it? Isn't it awesome? So you're all sat there saying, well, this is all right. Do you know what? We've really been sensitized, haven't we? Desensitized, sorry. Because if I was really talking to you about drinking blood, you would be vomiting. So you know for a fact that I'm just being symbolic here and you don't bat an eyelid. But back then, whoa, it was a big deal. And I know I've said this before. So some of you will say, I've heard this before. Mm. Well, listen, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And I think there's a one part where it says, if you, if you don't, whoever d eat, doesn't eat my flesh or drinks my blood can have no part in me. And I've probably found the wrong place here. But let me just carry on this. Verse 60. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Which he knew. I mean, for goodness sake. He knew full well he was offending them. And then verse 66 and uh, verse 67, if we just jump, because I'm just giving you the gist of what happens, if that's okay. From this time, many of his, many of his disciples, disciples left him. It wasn't a bunch of people who were a little bit, oh, I don't know whether we, you know, we like what you're saying or not. It was his disciples, people who had, had got it. But then suddenly... Gone too far now. He said, he says, no, his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he turned to the 12 and said, do you want to leave me too? Oh, whoa. So I've already mentioned, I think they, the disciples had a love of God. But when it came to them expressing that love for somebody who was saying something that just didn't quite fit what they thought was right, it says they walked away. And Anth brought it when he was talking about the woman. What happened was that although they weren't going to throw stones anymore, they walked away instead of going and standing with. So we have the same situation here where they could have said, you know what? I don't get what you're on about, about this blood and flesh business. When it comes into my head, you're really off the wall and it's not right. But I'll tell you what, because I love God, I'm going to love you and I'm not going to budge an inch until I figure this lot out. Hello? Okay. So what was Jesus really talking about, eating his flesh and blood? He, he wasn't meaning it. He was, he was just... It was being symbolic. He was actually saying something to them all. And I believe that the law was very clear. And I mean, I don't want to get into all the history of, of things. But in the law, it was clear that they hadn't to drink blood and they hadn't to eat flesh. So that was clear. So what was he trying to say? 
I believe he was saying that some of the things that you have held sacred and held precious, you may have to do and accept what up to now in the belief that you've held that has been a complete no-no, you might actually even have to face that and do it. Now, did he really want them to eat? flesh and blood. No, do you, do you get what I'm saying? But he's actually bringing it in as a symbol to say, look, those things that are repulsive, that don't fit and you feel as though you just might have to go there. Does this make sense? Okay. Now, I like the idea that we've come away from things, some things being sacred and holy, and then we've got this other angle over here that's sort of worldly and fleshly, right? Because we've understood that actually that was never God's intention for us to separate one thing from another. It's, it's all spiritual. There's not one bit that you can separate. It's called life that we live. And, and God is in it all. God is in every last bit of it. So why do we make one thing? You know, if we come to church, that was the God bit. And then I go to work and that was oh I'm doing that for my family and we everybody does it we separate and even when I talk to people who talk about what they have to do even for voluntary for the churches well I don't really have a lot of time because I've got this so they're separating to say time for church oh you know I give so many hours a week to what I do at the church and then but I've got to do this no it's life we live life is this making sense? And stop making one thing good and another thing bad. Let's just say, this is life. It would be much easier. So if we hold sacred some things that were never made, meant to be sacred. And then we, like Anne says, the dummy gets spat out. Because I don't like the fact that what I think is sacred you're not keeping sacred anymore. So he spit the dummy out. For instance, in, in India, it was interesting this last time on the trip. The people in the, the conference absolutely are thrilled when you talk about them being released from living under law and understanding that they're now under grace and it is finished and it's, it's all complete. And they look at you and they think, oh, it's amazing. And of course, you bring the scriptures to to. to to, to, um, to, what's the word? What? To back it up, to, to make sure, and they understand, and they're looking through the Bible, oh yeah, this is great, this is great, this is great. But then all of a sudden, they go all a bit funny on you, and you think, what's going on? And you recognise that all they do is transfer then from what they've understood about the Old Testament and keeping the law, and they bring up a scripture, and it's, it's uh, for instance, uh, as a, uh, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so they say, well, there you go. You have to be led by God or you can't be a son of God. And so you're thinking, hang on a minute. You suddenly have heard all this wonderful thing about being released into freedom. And suddenly they're finding something that excludes them straight away. And then they find something else like, well, it says, you know, and I've, I've got it here. There is therefore now condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Oh, we've got those, that, those two things again. One is flesh, one is spirit. And in fact, do you want to know a secret? 
that little bit there who do not walk after according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, is not even there in the original um, translation. It doesn't even exist. Somebody put that in because they wanted somebody to say, oh, we've got to have a bit of a condition there because, oh, everybody will think they're in when really they're not because unless they're really walking after the, after the Spirit of God, then they're out because if you're walking after the flesh, oh, that just can't, oh. They're crying out loud. How do you walk in the flesh? Think about it. I know I'm making a bit of fun, but we're stupid. The flesh and the spirit are working together in me all the time. Where does one start, the other one finish? You actually do. And of course, you get into the fact, what is, what is the flesh? And I'll tell you what, it's broken so many people, hasn't it, over the years? Because they're, they're constantly having to struggle with what is the flesh and what is the spirit? Have I, have I offended God? Have I this, have I that? I loved it when the kids were talking about their dads. See? If he's your dad, I'll tell you, tell you what, it takes some doing to offend a real, a real dad. Come on, a real dad, it takes some difficult to offend a real dad. You can do the most terrible things. Do you get me? So anyway, we introduced conditions in order to somehow find a way. I've gone off the track a little bit, but never mind. You see, what we have to do is understand that when I said about prayer, reading, sacraments and all this, if I look back at early in my life, doctrine was the most important thing. Doctrine. What I believed. Have I got it right? And today, even if we're not careful, we can still get all worried. Well, have I got it right? Oh, what's going to happen if? You know, when actually, the whole... Once you go down the line of saying, I have got to understand and believe everything right, you've really got a terrible problem. Because no one is ever going to be, uh, have access to everything that we need to know. Come on, be honest. So we have a problem there. So listen, there's a big difference between a static belief and a dynamic faith. Now I think that what is happening in this church, that we've gone from that which is static. And remember, static things don't change, right? We've moved to a dynamic faith which scares the living daylights out of most people because they want static belief. They want to be able to say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, yeah, tick, 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 I'm okay. When actually what dynamic faith does, it means from one minute to the next, you are open to a, a revelation that can constantly be coming to you, ebb and flowing from Many different places, many different directions. From, from what's just coming to my head, out of the mouth of an ass. Do you remember Balaam's ass? Donkey, if you're listening in America, I'm sorry if I've offended you. Balaam, Balaam's donkey. The donkey turned round, if, you know, if this is true, but I'm just offering you the story, 
turned around and said to the guy who was on his back, are you stupid or something? Beating the living daylights out of this donkey when there's a massive warrior angel in front of him. The donkey could see it, but the guy couldn't. I don't know why I've said that, but I was meant to. I just know I was meant to, so there you go. See, even out of the mouth of an ass, you can be told what the truth is. And yet sometimes we're, we won't even, are we not willing to listen to some people? Because we say, oh, well, they're this, or they're that, labels. Oh, yes, but they do this, and they do that, and they, you know. Instead of saying, do you know what? In everything, the Spirit of God is available to teach me all things. He says that he came to teach leaders and guide us into what? All truth, if we're open to it. So, okay. Faith is about trust, not certainty. Faith doesn't clear everything up. Oh, don't we wish it cleared everything up? We live in an unpredictable world and we'd like to have a predictable God. <laughs> but he messes that up every time, doesn't he? He says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. Don't try and figure me out the way that you live because I'm going to do things totally different all of the time. So... We want to know what God likes, what he rejects, what's right, what's wrong, who's in, who's out. Because genuine freedom brings an insecurity and an uncertainty which none of us like. And that's why I said at the beginning, I want to go back to Egypt. Because we, at least, the, the children of Israel hated it, but they got a certain security in it. Anyway. Someone just lately made a comment that we were too unconventional in this place. Which I understand, because like Anne said at the beginning, there are things that, uh, uh, and decisions that we've made that have been, you know, difficult for us too because of the journey that we have taken. And, the, you know, some of the initiatives are too difficult. And they said, this is really interesting. They said, and we know where this is heading. Well, that was really good news to me because I haven't a clue. That was really amazing. Where's it heading? You know, I think that what dynamic faith does, you see, is it's like with Abraham. He gets up and goes, where? Where? <laughs> it says to a land that he knew not of, and he didn't know he was there until he got there. Do you get me? So he set out on a journey and he just went. And that's what we're, where we are, and this is hard because some of you say, I want to know where we're going. I want to know what this is and what that is. And I have to say, sorry, I haven't a clue. Because it's a dynamic faith that's moving, that's ebbing and flowing. And Okay. The sad thing is, what I hear from that is that the love of God that they sort of say they have isn't actually expressed then in the love of people. Do you get it? They would rather go and play the prayer, reading, sacraments, whatever, somewhere else, than actually embrace the difficult demands. Do you get it? And I'm sorry about that. And it's hard for us because we don't, wanna, we don't want anybody to leave us because we come back to what Jesus says, will you also leave me? He must have felt pretty awful at the time. Hey? Yeah, it was a bad day, wasn't it? You see, when all said and done, if our all aim is to emulate 
the Spirit of Christ, then where we are heading, who in one sense is death. <laughs> Great, eh? It's death. And it's death in all sorts of forms. It's death to me when I have to love and accept and forgive something that I don't want to love and, and accept. It's death. Do you get it? And I was going to ask you at the beginning, why does any of us come and sit in this place? Why? Some say, well, I come to worship God. I'll be quite honest with you, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Because to me, this isn't where I worship. I do that all sorts of, in all sorts of places. <laughs> you know, we talked about the shower. All over the place I can be worshipping. And I can be worshipping when I'm sat with somebody on the front step. I'll keep the, I won't mention the name. When I'm sat on the step and we're giving out batteries, I'm worshipping. When I'm making a sandwich and I'm giving it to somebody who's homeless, I'm worshipping. I'm loving God. Is, is this making sense? Okay. So, I'd rather go back to Egypt. I'd rather be in slavery. I'd like me prison better than to love, forgive, accept that. Do you get it? The children of Israel are in the wilderness. They didn't like the manna. Oh, don't like this. I want to go back. Do you get it? I don't want this. I want... So people say, well, can't we just love Jesus and everything will be okay? Uh, newsflash, it doesn't work that way. My love for God is proportionate to my love for you. Sorry, tough to swallow. Oh. Choke. Do you get it? And I'm not saying my love for the world. I'm saying my love for you. See, do you get it? It's, the, it's the everybody's people. So, I've already said about God's, uh, Jesus' love for God is expressed in his love for people. And that must be uh, the same thing. So, if our initiatives to you at this present time, and I want this to be, you know, a challenge, are equivalent to you being told to eat Christ's blood, uh, drink Christ's blood and eat Christ's body, then I'm, I'm sorry. But that's the way it's going to be. Because we're not going to find a safe refuge from the revolutionary lifestyle that Jesus proposed. I... Um, I said about, you know, the, the children of Israel wanting to go back. When I said, well, why would they want to do that? Because you see, often what was being asked of them in the wilderness, in their opinion, was worse than what had been asked of them back in Egypt. Now, can you get your head around that? Their babies were being killed. They were having slave labor. They weren't being fed they were making bricks out of straw, they were being lashed to a pulp, and yet they were, do you get me? They were being, they would say, but what you're asking of us here is worse. Shows you how such a short memory we can have. So, I don't know whether you ever saw the Shawshank Redemption. Do you remember the poor guy who comes out after 50 years 
And he ends up in the, in the same little flat where all the other people would come out. And there was a, there was a piece of wood one there at the top and where they're all in, uh, engraved their names. Do you remember? And then the, the sad part of the story was he ends up hanging himself from that beam. Why? Because having been institutionalized for 50 years, freedom, he couldn't hack. He couldn't live with it. So he's actually saying, I like freedom, you know, I'm out, but let me go back to Shawshank. Do you get it? Why? Because in his mind, he couldn't live with the freedom that was being offered. So, the reason why there's a problem between the wilderness and the hardships of Egypt, to me, there can only be one thing because they were having to trust, weren't they, regardless of whether they were in Egypt. They were going to either trust God in Egypt or trust God in the wilderness. Trust was a common denominator of it all. So what was the difference? Well, I, the only thing I could think of was at least when they were in Egypt, they could see what was going on. But when you're tramping across a desert and there's a million people or whatever, and there's nothing to see, you know, there's no McDonald's, there's no, um, you know, things that, there for provision or whatever. Nothing to see. And it makes you actually think that what we can see becomes the thing that actually seduces us that it's better. Do you, do you, can you grab that, that thought? So if we can see it, this must be secure. Whereas... I'm in the same predicament. There's still a struggle. There's slightly better things because I'm not being beaten. But, you know, it's, it's rough going. I'm having to walk and walk and walk and there's all this going on. But they couldn't see the provision or the little morsels that we're getting from the, from the Egyptians. That's, that's all I can figure out. So we get to the place where, in essence, they were walking by faith. Yeah? I'm just trying to be simple with this. So, my conclusion, nobody likes to live life in the dark. I read a book recently where it's suggesting that what has happened with modern living since the invention of the light bulb, <laughs> this is great, isn't it? Um, that our bodies are not replenishing themselves the way they ought to. Because when you used to get up with the sun and go to bed with the sun going down, the darkness actually used to tell your body that it was time to fix all those things in all your, in, in all your cells, right? And it would go through, putting it all right, fixing it all. And so when you got up with the light, you were ready to go. You see, what do we do now? Because we want the day to be a bit longer, we foolish idiots. Come on, be honest. Most of us women are going mad when we fall into bed and we're saying, I wish the day could be shot. Just don't put on the lights. <laughs> but uh, come on. Artificial light creates a problem because we stay up longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and longer because we can always have the lights on. Little lesson for you. Sometimes the darkness isn't as bad as you think it is. 
And the darkness of the children of Israel walking through that wilderness that they thought was so terrible. You know, I've tried to explain what I perceived as the darkness for them was actually in some ways far better than the lights of Egypt. And I want to encourage you all that sometimes we have to be willing to leave the Father's house, that house of security that we put our trust in, that we understood, that we saw, that we knew, that we felt secure in and comfortable. And we have to put our foot and we have to start walking into almost a dark place where we say, oh, please, I want artificial light. Give me artificial light. When actually we should be saying, no, you know what's going to happen? In this, all of my senses that have been deadened by that which was the corruption of discipleship is actually going to be rejuvenated and made alive and we're going to have resurrection life. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm going to read one last thing and I'm done. Metanoia versus paranoia. And I believe we've got more paranoid Christians. Gracious me. Get rid of our paranoia, haven't we? The biblical word for conversion is... And conversion just means, you know, you convert something from gas to electric. You convert, you know, it's just a change. Don't let's over-spiritualize this. It's just a change. Conversion opens us to a new agenda, new priorities, a different hierarchy of values. It stretches us from professing Jesus as saviour to confessing him as Lord from a mindless accommodation of our faith in our culture to a live faith in the consuming truth of the good news. I think that's awesome. But I'm not going to read it again because I've just got another bit to, to, to read for you. Listen to this. The opposite of conversion is aversion. The other side of metanoia is paranoia. I won't explain paranoia. I think you understand it. Spiritual paranoia is a flight from God and from our true selves. And it is an attempt to escape from personal responsibility. Remember what we said at the beginning, escape, escape from the revolutionary lifestyle that Jesus proposed. Do you remember? Okay. It is a tendency to avoid the cost of discipleship and to seek out an escape route from the demands of the gospel. So, I'm going to say something now. We at the, up here at the rock, we are not lost in wonder, love and oblivion. We're not going to get lost in, in sort of this loving of God that actually has no human connection. Do you get it? We're not having none of that. And we're not going to go back to Egypt, but we're going to authentically walk in the way of Jesus. So, LAFD squared. Love, accept, loved, accepted, forgiven, done. Love, accept, forgive, do. Some of the stuff that we, that's going on, you will be feeling as though you're being asked to eat the body of Christ and drink his blood. That's how difficult it might be. But, what you're being asked to do is, can you show your love for God by loving people? Do you get it?
Leave your land and go. The familiar and the habitual are so falsely reassuring that most of us make our homes there. We've got to make a journey out. Who's with me? I'm done. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Okay, just a couple of things on that. Um, Last week I uh, changed what I was going to say because I felt, you know, the moment required it. So, of course, we we talked about the um, the Good Samaritan and the need of not letting our professional obligation interfere with our with with our love towards human need. Um, the message that I was going to preach, I didn't mean for that, Chris has no idea, was so you want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> so I think, I think there's a word that's choosing you tonight. I can't stress this enough because it's very important. There is a word that's choosing you and that word is connected all around this, this shift from paranoia to metanoia, this, this shift to maturity, this... Um, the shift of the challenge that Jesus brought. I, you know, I, I've been a leader a long time and, and there are many times that one becomes hurt because you don't get the response you were looking for. And uh, I sometimes feel sorry for Jesus. When he said, uh, will you also leave me? And they said, well, basically summarize, you've got nowhere else to go. Fantastic, thank you. That's really encouraging. We've got nowhere else to go. Uh, you know, where are we going to go? Because I said, you know, at this moment you have the words of eternal life. It wasn't, it wasn't an all-embracing, we will never. It was kind of, well, in this moment I have nowhere better to go. I mean, you know, a, a stronger response would be more appropriate. And so I think tonight a stronger response from us is more appropriate. When, when my little guy, who I love very much, um, says goodbye to these, um, he would not be encouraged to put them in a drawer. Because some of you know it's going to happen if he's encouraged to put them in a drawer. As soon as he feels insecure or in need, the first thing he's going to do is go to the drawer and go back, go back to the pacifier. So he will be encouraged to destroy them. You know, in the old days, it was you chucked it on the fire and watched it melt, and and through the tears of sadness, <laughs> and and the pain that your parents would inflict that wound upon you, uh, a change in life was taking place. It was it was a it was a a rite of transition uh, that said, "I'm no longer a baby. Now I'm I'm a child." <clears throat> And so the reason I'm saying this, I think what Chris has brought is very important and what she's said about um, the things we like in our religion that do that, we must not put in a drawer to kind of say, well, I'm okay with this, but I'll just keep this stuff, you know, just because we will revert back to it as sure as the children of Israel um, decided that they were going back to Egypt. Um, it's an interesting thing because the manner that they were given this food from God, they had to pick it up and they had to grind it into a paste and then they had to bake it. And um, the literal Hebrew is, and it tasted, it tasted like something made with olive oil. Imagine if I said, I'm going to cook something for you, what's it taste like? Well, it tastes like something made with olive oil. 
I don't think pillars would be too full. <laughs> Come tonight, why? Because we're having some stuff, it tastes something like it made with olive oil. Um, the reason for that is we can get religiously carried away about, about this amazing manna when actually the manna was as much a test of the desire of these people to make a transition as anything else. It, 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 we can make it something special, but if you actually read the real words, it kind of, it was a, it was a see you through thing that was saying, do you have the courage, are you willing to go all the way with this journey? Because the promise of the journey was not to live on manna, the promise was I'm taking you to a land that flows with milk and honey, which meant every provision and every nurture you will ever need is in the place where you're going, if you get there, and if you're willing to stick through the time where you've got this stuff that tastes something like it's made with honey. So I sometimes want to apologize and say, I'm sorry if where we are right now tastes like something made with, with olive oil. Um, but it's part of the journey. And I do think, you know, sometimes we have to make a decision in our heart. Sometimes we need some help. My, my little guy will need some help with and some suggestions about what he needs to do with these. And we all need some help and some suggestions sometimes of what we need to do on our journey and this call to a, a greater discipleship that is not driven by a religious pacifier but actually is calling us to, 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 to be more like Jesus and to be Jesus to humanity. So I want you to stand with me. I, I can't make a decision for you but um, you can make a decision. I've had, I've had two occasions in the last decade where... Um, one could argue I would have been justified to leave the situation I was in um, because of what I was facing, but I had to make a, a decision in there that that, that that is not what I would do. Um, and one of those decisions was whether to leave this place because I was pretty hurt by um, some... My expectations of some people did not materialise to be what I thought they were. And so I went through a period of, of you know was I, from the pain of that, able to deal with the pain of that, or should I just walk away? And I had to make a decision in my heart, a clear decision, that said, no, I will not leave. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. And though what's just been said and done is strange and hard to understand, eat my body and drink my blood, I have to make a decision and say, I'm not going anywhere because I think this is going somewhere amazing. So nobody can make you make that decision, but, but there are people who need to make that decision that always were throughout the narrative of Scripture, whether you were an Israelite leaving Egypt with the prospect of the land of promise, or whether you were a disciple going to follow Jesus, there was always a need to make this decision and say, no, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul, I'm in this to the end, I'm together in this because God is with me. And wherever you see that that happened, the wonderful thing that makes it more difficult in our life, you can read the scripture and see it worked. You know, when you're going through stuff and it doesn't look as though it's working, it's not so easy. We look back at stories. But remember, part of their story was a time when it didn't seem to be working and they had to press through. But we then read the end of the story. And the truth is, when we follow the purposes of God, it's always good. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. 
but he always leads us to a place that has provision and has nurture that God has already been getting ready for us and a place where we blossom and expand and multiply and increase and God wants you to be in that place. So I'm going to pray right now, but if you want to make some of those decisions, it's important. We make those decisions and say, okay, Jesus, I'm in this. So Father, we, we love you. Thank you for uh, bringing us into your life and bringing us into your purpose and bringing us into all that you are and inviting us to participate in something so much bigger than ourselves. Help us to have the courage, the boldness, um, the faith, and the willingness to go all the way with what you've called us into. Help us to turn from paranoia to metanoia, from the things that we try to sustain ourselves from fear to the things that actually are the call of faith in our lives, calling us on, calling us forward, calling us through to something greater. Help us in the hardships to see that there is a hope beyond the hardships and that your promises come to pass. And when your promises come to pass, there is always blessing that comes with those promises. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the life you've offered to us. Thank you for your words into us. Thank you for little moments that confirm that you're speaking to us. So we receive that today in Jesus' name and we set ourselves to destroy the pacifiers in order that we might grow up into something greater and something bigger and bring your love and kindness to one another and to our world because we live in that kindness that you have given us because when you said it is finished, that's not something we do, it's something we, we receive, it's something we accept. And so we accept your finished work that in your eyes where we need to be and what needs to happen is already done and we're already there. Help us to live in the faith of that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Wonderful. And thank you, Chris.